0: The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known, and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Well, hey there, everyone. Welcome into another episode of the Story World Podcast. Steve Schramm, my boy Al. What's up, man?
1: hey it feels like it's uh it's been a week it's a couple of weeks since we talked but to some people it probably only has been a week
0: yeah yeah that's it's that's true
1: okay that show's over
0: folks yes, that's it so we'll see you next time <laughs> no we're uh we're gonna finish out our series this week on structural tension we're gonna kind of loop in um Something that me and Alex love to talk about, which is the Bible. We're going to talk about structural tension in the Bible. I've got some cool uh, things to walk through, and I think we're just going to kind of toss the ball back and forth a little bit. Yeah, how I'm this excited about it.
1: Um, I'd say uh, we really created our own sort of tension on how we're going to um, pull this <laughs> out as a good finale, and I think talking about kind of how the how the Bible structures its own type of tension is a uh, interesting discussion because really, it's mm-hmm. it's it's totally even though it might be somewhat relatable it's totally different and separate from what we might see in um, marketing or in fiction or other type of writing um it's Mm -hmm. on a whole different level
0: yeah for sure it's and i mean talk about the ultimate storybook so like you know this is where this is totally where some some of the best and greatest stories of all time you know have been related and so if a if a good story is going to have structural tension then you can count on some of that being in the Bible. Unfortunately, there are some people who do think that it basically amounts to a work of fiction. so I guess in that sense, they could look at it and, and see that, but uh, I don't think so. We don't think so. Um, I think there's good evidence for everything that the, that the, that the Bible shares. And so um, yeah, it's, it's good. We think it's the true story of reality. And, and um, so there's bound to be some, some really good stuff in there. So yeah, maybe we just kind of walk down through and, You know, some of the different thoughts that I have don't take too long, you know, 20, 25 minutes, something like that, and we'll see where we end up.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Before you get into the specifics, I know you kind of have some specific examples. I'm kind of, I want to zoom out first and just kind of look at the Bible as a whole. Um, Obviously, there's probably a variety of uh, audience people who are listening, people who are familiar with the Bible who are not familiar with it at all. And so just to kind of give a perspective out, you know, the Bible takes place over, you know, thousands of years and not only does it takes place during the time that was written, but it also foretells of times to come still in the future. And so really you have this, um, these works of art that are, uh, combined and put together where they tell a story, um, from a cohesive story from beginning to end, literally from the beginning of life to the end of life, as we know it. And so it's a, it's a true example of an, an actual um like life structural tension. So I can create a long um fictional series, say 20 books long, and it could take someone, you know, maybe even a couple of years or however long it takes them to to read it, to to go through it. And all on the way they're going through these ups and downs and they're feeling the tension between the characters. Well, there are people who wrote the Bible, who lived during times when books of the Bible were written that one, either never got to read it themselves or never got to See what was next, and even for us, who so even though we have the completed words, um we still don't know exactly some people might claim they know but we still don't even know exactly what's going to happen or when things are going to happen in the future, so we're still kind of living in the biblical structural tension of life today um so That's really huh? from beginning to end, it's just it's a long story that a lot of promises are fulfilled specifically, the biggest one of course, is the fulfillment of God coming and in the form of flesh and and jesus and um dying on the cross raising from rising from the grave that's obviously the culmination of you know what we would think is the biggest you know piece that kind of um breaks that tension and is kind of a breath of fresh air but there's still a lot more to it um than that even so i mean anyway, that's kind of like my oversight on um yeah on that topic
0: yeah there's this interesting debate amongst bible nerds as to True. the authorship of of the bible in many different senses but in this particular sense there's a question as to if there is only one authorial intent or if there are two authorial intents in any given passage and so for example um christians believe that the bible is inspired So we believe it it is um, God-breathed. The uh, ideas are inspired by God, and yet they are written by men, um, by men and to men. And um, at least my particular view of the inspiration of Scripture does not have God like whispering into the ear of, of the biblical writers and being like, hey, read this. I right, mean, or, there's no weird
1: conjuring thing going on
0: no they're not in some sort of trance and like the the, the words are being downloaded into their brain no they're they're humans uh writing and especially in the new testament this is really easy to see because you literally have letters that were written to specific persons or groups of people that like clearly the letter is a communication between say paul and timothy you are very personal and it's yeah it's very personal but like Peter, a, a direct apostle and student of Jesus, refers to Paul's writings as scripture. Hmm. And so you have this sort of interesting dynamic and there's different ways that, you know, that's one of the things, but there's different ways that Christians sort of, you know, decide on, well, what is, what is canon? What belongs in the Bible and what doesn't? Um, but like, you've got this idea that um um writers were just writing (laughs) writers read other writing from around their time period and they also wrote but then in some sense um they were also moved and inspired by the holy spirit to write the things that they did and so you have this idea where some people want to very strongly argue that there can only be one intent and that is the intent of the human author um, as inspired by God, and that's it. That's all a text can possibly mean. So the question is: is is there a such thing as a deeper meaning ever behind the scriptures? And someone to adamantly argue, no. I I don't want to. Some people are afraid of this because it, it can go off the rails, which it, certainly it can. But I don't think we have to go off the rails. Um, you know, it, it, this doesn't have to result in a slippery slope, not fallaciously. Um, because look at Daniel, okay, so Daniel, I just finished reading the book of Daniel again a few uh, days ago, and it's so fascinating because Daniel, even by the end of his writing, um was literally told that he didn't know, and he wasn't going to get to know what he was writing about yeah. and so like he some things were made clear to him and explained to him, but other things weren't, and he just didn't get to know those things. And so I think it has to be possible that at least some texts of the Bible have a deeper meaning because otherwise Daniel would have known everything that he was writing. Clearly he was inspired to write something that he didn't even really understand. So that's kind of fascinating.
1: Well, in taking it kind of to, I mean, going into a step beyond that where, and I'm sure there's different ideas about this too, but you look at John and his... Revelation of the book of Revelation, where that was just all given to him for him to see, and I'm sure he had no clue what the heck he was you know really writing about I mean no one today even knows in my in my honest opinion, you know, so it's uh I, I think you're absolutely right, and it it's interesting where uh, you're right it's it's people um inspired by God, but in the end it's it's you know it's people writing, and I think that that kind of speaks as to the how incredible it is that you do have the even though a, each book is telling something different it is written by a different author you still have this cohesiveness through it all where it it flows you know you can read the entire bible and realize that it it belongs together um that it's you know that it's you know that it's one and um and i think that kind of even like makes um the story arc, you know, specifically talking about you know God and His promise to Israel and Jesus coming, um it that just really speaks to how awesome the story is and the buildup of it and the progression of that through through history.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Um, um, the term I was looking for at ChatGPT to the rescue while you were talking is uh, census planner census planner, which basically means the the. Fuller sense or the deeper sense versus census literalis, which is basically just literal sense, right? So, is it only the thing by the human author right in front of you, or is there a fuller sense, a deeper meaning gotcha. of sorts um, beyond that? You know, beyond what the uh, author immediately said. And, and I think, again, we can we don't need to go down that rabbit hole any further. But I think both have some merits. I to think them. it's both, yeah. So. So then, yeah, how actually does this concept of structural tension sort of work in the Bible? So, there are a few different things that i uh, I think are the case. So, first of all, we have progressive revelation. So this is a term that um, that scholars sort of use to talk about how all throughout the Bible we find that the truths that God wants to share with his people are not revealed. In a singular moment, right? As you already said, the Bible was written over a long period of time. And in a in a sense, we're still in that story um, because the Bible encompasses from the beginning of time to the end of time. And we haven't reached the end of time quite yet. So um, it's like one of the clearest examples of this is Paul um, in the book of Thessalonians. And um, I think he does it a little bit as well. Yeah. Uh, He does. In the book of Ephesians, he talks about this mystery that wasn't made known to people before the time that he was writing. It was the mystery that the Lord gave to him to share. And of course, like I said, even Peter would agree that this is now scripture. And so it's, you know, from the word of, of, of the Lord. And it's this idea that the Gentiles are also heirs to the promise of the kingdom of God. Right. So up to that point, the thinking had been that the, um, the, uh, the gospel was only for Jews, right? Jesus came back to preach to the Jews and to deliver the captives, um, the Jews who were still sort of believed to be in exile. And um, that's why the Jews were sort of expecting this conquering king. And he came instead, um, instead of a, as a lion, uh, he came as a lamb and suffered as the Passover lamb. Um, and then that through time was progressively revealed uh, to be the plan that would allow the Gentile nations to come in. I think we're, we might even get into that a little bit in our next episode, mm-hmm. but um, kind of some cool ideas there. Um, and so we, like, again, as you read the Bible, you must remember that it was written over this time period of, you know, nearly 2000 years. And that's a long time yep. of of unfolding history where, um, you know, things are being revealed little by little. And what's interesting about that is like, Doing that in itself, you know, revealing things over time is not hard. Uh, there are other religious books that have um, done that. Even Islam has a doctrine. Which the, it's kind of slipping my mind. It's probably the pizza that I ate. Um, slipping my mind what it's called. <laughs> um, but, but they even have this doctrine that sort of says that any earlier revelation basically cancels out. Um or new revelation cancels yeah. out old revelation. And so isn't that convenient that like, oh, if, yes. it, said, if it said something it before, now it's allowed to change, right? And so it can just always change. Well, that's not the case with the Bible. Uh, with the Bible, you have things that you might be mistaken for that. For example, when Jesus says that he's come to fulfill all the law and the prophets, that's, again, some people mistakenly look at that and say, oh, well, Jesus said the law doesn't matter anymore. No, that's not what he said. He didn't say that he's come to do away with the law. In fact, the Bible even says this. He said, it's not that I've come to do away with the law. It's that I've come to fulfill the law. It's it's the law yeah. can't really be kept, but I can keep it. And so I'm going to keep it for you and then extend my salvation to you. That is what Jesus did. Um, and so the law did not become irrelevant. In fact, the New Testament talks quite a bit about the law. Um, it's just that in the life of the believer, um, we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the only one who could faithfully keep the law and did for us. Um, and so, um, so there's this idea that over time, as more revelation is added, nothing happens that is contradicting or erasing the thousands of years of prior context that was taking place. Um, things happen to help fulfill that but it's all consistent, right? You don't have this massive, you know, 2000 year, like just random stuff going on where like, it's all contradictory and nothing makes Mm. sense. The Bible is beautifully cohesive. And so that's one of the things that sort of speaks to um, its truthfulness, but also just the beauty and the design of the story itself.
1: The progressive revelation is, is something like really beautiful, where especially if you put yourself in some of these, um, you know, people's minds that that were alive. I'm thinking like specifically at the beginning, I think of Abraham in the promise Mm. that was made about his family and that, you know, they would become a nation and how great they would be. Um, how Abraham never got to see that. I mean, I'm sure that he got to see his family grow for sure, but he never got to see, at least in my thinking, correct me if I'm wrong, but he never got to see a nation of Israel. You know, he he got to see some of de- his descendants and obviously his faith did not. And he knew that God was going to do something. But think of the little sliver that Abraham got to see in his life that we can see now reading the scriptures and kind of like what you were saying, how he just got a little piece of the pie. I I mean, just just a little bite of everything that was to come. And there's just something really neat about that.
0: Yeah. And like to underscore that point even further, it's like when you get to the book of galatians um where again paul is sort of wrestling with this idea with the judaizers that was the group of people who is primarily being written about um slash two um in the book of galatians and these are people who you know look understandably we're trying to figure out you know the the where like these are Jews converting to Christianity and they're trying to figure out the the length and right. the limits and, and, and what it looks like to be a Jew who's now a Christian. Do we yeah. still follow the law? To what extent do we follow the law? Does, the, does following the law make us more righteous? Does it make God love us more? Like these are all things that they had to figure out. And what, what Peter says there is that even the Gentiles, when, when, when they become in Christ, when everybody comes together in Christ, there is no more Jew or Gentile. They are all, they are all the seed of Abraham heirs according to the promise. So it literally just goes so far and it connects so many dots all the way back to the promise of Abraham. And he could have never imagined. And and when you look at it again, it's one of those pieces of internal consistency. When you look at it, it's like, oh, man, like we're just talking about descendants like the like as as many as the the sands on the seashore. Mm-hmm. Like, surely what we're not talking about there is just the Jews. I mean, it's like one of the smallest, you know, little, it's a small, insignificant nation. Um, if you think about it, even though there are lots of Jewish people, I mean, in, in comparison to like everybody Mm. in the planet, you know, not so. And so the, like Abraham, I don't think would have ever imagined that the Gentiles would be allowed Mm. into, into, and, and I know, again, I know that Abraham wouldn't necessarily have this idea of Gentile versus not, because literally yeah. like the nation of Abraham was, or the nation of Israel was started with Abraham, you know, yeah. in, in his generations. But but still, he was talking about his heirs. And so I'm sure Abraham did at least have the inclination that whatever this promise was, it would be to his family. I, what I think he could not have foreseen is that his family would literally be anyone in the entire world who called upon the name of the Lord for salvation.
1: And yeah, that's what like, the New
0: Testament clarifies, so... Anyway, that's progressive revelation.
1: It's so cool. I'm kind of thinking in my mind, uh, just an an inapplicable way to like fiction fantasy, where you'll see some type of hint or foreshadowing of something at the beginning of a book or series. And then you kind of see that kind of turn things around and come to fruition at the end. Harry Potter is really great with that and other books as well. But yeah, think how awesome um, just the Bible is at that. (laughs) I mean, Uh just that one example with Abraham, how... He himself, just like we everything that you just said had could just no understanding of what that meant about his descendants yep. and then that's just one aspect and it just goes on and on and on
0: well, and the way that I would put that is they open story loops right mm-hmm. they open they there's there's all these sort of open brackets these sort of open loops that you um, see as the story goes on and later on throughout the story in different places those brackets get get closed and that loop gets closed in your mind and it's like oh okay there's now a a resolution to this and that's Mm -hmm. one of the interesting things that we're going to talk about in a minute so this is a really good transition point is that like sometimes those loops are less obvious especially to ironically to churched people who've Mm -hmm. grown up in church their entire lives and um particularly to people who don't have any insight at all into the original languages and that's no slight to people. It's not that you have to understand Hebrew or Greek to get the Bible, but by the nature of translation, there are things that will be missed. Yeah. Um, you've, if you've heard of the term lost in translation, it's because it's impossible not to lose something in translation. Words just don't carry the same meanings across time and space yeah. to different cultures. They just don't. And so it's, it's like, that's just a bare fact that we all have to deal with like it or not when it comes to figuring out the Bible. So, that's maybe a good place to introduce my next point, which was cliffhangers in the Bible. So there are some places where there doesn't seem to be a resolution to the story. It's like a loop gets opened, but it never really gets closed. And again, some of these do get closed in in some places, but they're not always so obvious. So yep. um, I, just, I just run through a few of these examples. So Cain and Abel, this is a really, really good you know, example. Cain kills his brother Abel. Um, God punishes him by making him wanderer. But it's not really clear what ultimately becomes of him. We don't know what happens to Cain. We don't know if he ever gets right with his family or whatever. sort of the assumption, and I think it's probably an accurate assumption is that um you know he um didn't really see any kind of redemption um th- you know, the world sort of goes into chaos and people start building cities and Of course, we know by the time we get to Genesis six, the world is literally so bad that God decides that he's going to start all over again and so it's it's sort of reasonable to assume that. You know, things didn't really end well for Cain, um, but it is something that we don't really um, we don't really know about. Another one is the the Tower of uh, of Babel, um, Tower of Babel, you might hear it called. Um, we think the, the most accurate pronunciation is something like Babel, um, but it's sort of unclear. Like, okay, God, it's it's kind of like, what is what is this here for? What what, what does this mean? God scatters the languages. Okay, so now it's like people don't talk English anymore, and then suddenly, okay, here's this Abraham guy, and so forget about the rest of humanity. Let's gonna, Let's start all over again. And um, again, that's where that's where the story of, of of Babel doesn't really pick up again until Acts chapter two, and to create just a little bit mm. of structural tension. We'll revisit that in our next episode. So come back next week for our next episode. We'll talk just a little bit about what's going on in Acts chapter 2 and how it tells the rest of the story of what happens in Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. But sure enough, it's one of those instances that like, there's no real obvious fix for that problem. It's like, okay, God seemed to have a plan for the whole planet, and then suddenly it goes down to the nation of Israel, and then that's it you know, so what happens after that? Um, um Another, let's see, another uh, quick example, I'll just give one more here, is, is the fate of Judas. This is one, actually me know. and my buddy Jared are currently um, in the middle of co-writing a song and the first whole verse is about Judas and we, re- we were researching this, you know, as we were writing the song and it's like, yeah, you don't, like, Judas really doesn't seem to have any kind of clear, like, there's no redemption for him. I mean, his story just kind of ends um in a in a bad way mm-hmm. um and there is a discrepancy as to what happens there um matthew describes him as like feeling remorseful and then committing suicide um acts talks about him like buying a field and then dying in a gruesome accident which actually you can kind of um meld those two together mm-hmm. so that there's no contradiction but still it's like it's again, it's a little unclear what happens with him. And certainly there's no resolution to his story. Um, It just seems to end uh, really, really bad for yeah. him. So, it
1: reminds me of the end of something like uh, like Inception or something where you kind of have a pretty clear picture of how it ends. But it's still it still is a real like head scratcher. Like you said, Judas, you can put the two together and, you know, have plenty of reasons for the discrepancy there. But at the same time, at the end of it, you just yeah. think, "What an aw- what an interesting conclusion to yeah. that story."
0: Well, I think at a certain point, at a certain point, you're not, and I have an example of this that I've used before in in for different things. But at a certain point, you're not just looking for the story to end; you're looking for the story to end in some way that is purposeful that mm. has that brings you some sort of satisfaction. And I, again, I think of the god awfulest movie I have ever watched called Buried.
1: I think, you, I think you bring it that was up.
0: Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. God, I hate that movie, but it keeps coming back up. Cause, like, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert! Sorry, please don't watch the movie. It is a horrible waste of time. <laughs> so, thank me for this spoiler alert. But, like, it's this is a movie where he spends basically the whole movie is him buried alive, talking on the phone, and at the end of the movie, his oxygen runs out and he dies. And it's like, okay, the movie ended. I get that. I saw what happened, but there was still no resolution. It still just abruptly ended, and the guy died, and it was stupid. There was no meeting, There was no purpose. There was no anything. And um, and I I think even in stories like that, it's like it's not just enough for the story to end. Like we want it to end in a way that makes us feel something, you know. And so it's sometimes the stories don't.
1: Well, like a story like that, too. And I have watched and read some. I've brought it up, too. Is it your go to is what's it called? Buried. And yeah. mine is um, hostage with Bruce Willis. Those are kind of our two go to is mm. for at the end of the movie. It's not just like, oh, that was stupid. But you kind of have like this, like almost like pitted sick feeling. I'm like, oh, like that didn't this wasn't a yeah. good ending. Um, yeah. I'd like to Awful. read off. I shared this with you a few weeks ago. This and I every time I come across, it, I just think it's. It's one of my favorite. I don't even know if you call it a cliffhanger. Um, I'm actually trying to think. It's in Mark 14. It's when um, Jesus is in the garden. And after um, um, after Peter, I think we believe is it's Peter. I think it's, they say the two cuts off the um, the, the soldier's ear. And um, it, it continues. And it says, then they all deserted him and ran away. Now a certain, then it then just goes into this weird account. Now a certain young man wearing nothing but a linen cloth, was following yes. him. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. And that's the only thing. And to me, that's it's my favorite
0: What's story, like
1: non-story, in the entire Bible. Yeah. I don't know an ounce to make of that. I don't know anything about it. And
0: I'll tell you, the only thing, I have a hypothesis there. Yeah. My only hypothesis is that it's left as a marker of authenticity because why why intelligently design that story to be there Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like that's the only purpose that i could see for it but like if if you're just looking at the story itself yeah what the it just makes no sense
1: it almost Um, yeah it kind of reminds me it does kind of remind me a little bit i guess of like if you if like Say if you and someone's talking about a specific situation, you remember it this way and they remember it this way. And you say, no, I definitely remember it this way because this yes. dog was there looking at I remember specifically doing that. And you're right. It kind of gives it that authentic feeling where it was just like, hey, like this happened. It's, exactly.
0: Um, yeah. It's like, this is something that somebody saw when he wrote down in the account. And there and it is. And that's it. And there it yes. is. And, I, that, and it's only there because it happened. Yeah. You know, and... So that's interesting. Um there's one more cliffhanger that I want to mention because it's ah, it's it. arguably ar- it's arguably the greatest example of a cliffhanger in the entire Bible. It's where um uh Pontius Pilate is questioning Jesus. <laughs> and you know, he's like, "Man, I just can't find anything wrong with this guy. Why is the crowd crying for this legit murderer Barabbas to be released when this other guy doesn't seem to have done anything wrong?" And and they're having this conversation and he's like yo, come on, dude, like, are you, what? What? what's happening here? And he's like, are you the king of the Jews? And he's like, yep, that's, you know, guilty as charged. <laughs> that's yep. me, you know. And, and they're talking, they get on the subject of the truth. And basically, Pilate asks um, the question, or is it, yeah, yeah. Basically, Pilate asks the question, what is truth? And then just walks away. And he's like, and it's like the biggest cliffhanger ever because it's like you're literally standing in front of the way, the truth, and the life. If anybody could tell you the truth, it's him. You know? And it's like he asks the question, What is truth? And then just leaves it hanging and, and walks away. And it's it's like the ultimate, just like you missed it. It was right there. Like you you missed it by that much, you know?
1: I think so, um kind of a side note, I think we should take a note and do a deep dive and maybe have an episode or two about Pontius Pilate. He's one of yeah. my favorite characters as far as just like, like, a, just like a real portrayal of a human being who just, I think, really wanted to do the right thing and just, and just, just didn't come through with it and just, you know, yeah. It's a it's a real sad story, I think. But anyway, I think it's I think it's worth exploring. But it's uh it always just kinda of breaks my heart a little mm-hmm. bit always reading about him, you know. Kind of like yeah. with some people today I feel where they're searching for truth and they want to know the right thing, but it they just it just doesn't ultimately you just don't grasp it in the end. But yeah. Anyway, that's neither yeah. here nor there, I guess.
0: <laughs> no, we need to talk about it sometime though, because he is an interesting character. Yeah. Um he's very human and mm-hmm. relatable, I think.
1: Yeah. One hundred percent in some
0: important ways. Um, so the next thought I had was sort of this idea of tension and the scope of salvation. And we're not gonna park here long because I already kind of covered it, but like there all throughout the Bible, there is this tension, both um practically in the in the outworking of people's lives where the stories are being told, but then also theologically where the um structure of 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 actually how God designed things to work is talked about for example in the book of Hebrews is a big place where this comes up mm-hmm. and it's just the question of well like when you look back at the old testament like there's a common misconception that people in the old testament were saved by sacrificing the, on the various you know sacrifices that were made and it is a reasonable assumption i think if you are just reading the Old Testament and coming through it like it's—it's it's no surprise to me that people walk away with this misconception. And yet, when you get to the Book of Hebrews, it talks about how the blood of bulls and goats cannot save. In fact, it never saved. And mm-hmm. it talks, especially Hebrews chapter eleven, about the Hall of Faith, all about how Old Testament saints were actually um, um, judged to be righteous um, based on the faith that they had, because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. The perfect spotless sacrifice in Jesus was required for that to happen. There's this tension, not only in like, how do you get saved, but in who can be saved? Who can be a part of the family of God? For example, we just talked about how it was a mystery that the Gentiles were welcomed into the kingdom and the family of God. And yet, in the Old Testament, we have multiple examples of people who were Outside of the Jewish community, clearly Gentiles, who seemed to um, be able to follow God and worship the God of the Bible, worship Yahweh, without having to be a Jew. Some of the examples are Job. Job was a follower of Yahweh, but he was not Jewish. Okay? Mm. Naomi, Ruth. Right, they were Moabites, right? Or you know, and they came into the into the kingdom, and they, you know, of course, Ruth married Boaz and all of that. Um, but they, um, or Ruth, was the Moabitess. Um, Naomi yeah. was Naomi was Jewish, right? Uh, it's late. I think, I think yeah, Naomi I'm, was Jewish. Right? Naomi was Jewish, I believe. But 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 Ruth was the Moabitess, and and, and she was able to come in to the to the family and kingdom of God. A really interesting example is Naaman. Naaman is just. This crazy example of someone who, um, ultimately, when he was washed in the river seven times and finally um, healed of his leprosy, he traded allegiance to his to his current God for Yahweh. In fact, it's the craziest story. Like he even asks the prophet, he's like, "Hey, look, like it's part of my job. I gotta go in. I gotta bow down." To my own God and be like, hey, yeah, yeah, I worship you or whatever. But like, I don't really worship him. Like, is that okay? <laughs> is that going to be a problem with Yahweh? And the prophet's like, bro, don't worry, about it. you're good, you good. Don't worry about it, you know. And then you know, he, he takes back this plot of dirt, which again we can talk about next week. He takes this plot of dirt from Yahweh's territory, from the Jewish community, back with him so that he has uh, again this sort of geographical reference point for the God of. Israel. And so all of that is true. All of that happens. This is all Old Testament stuff we're talking about. And yet it was a mystery not revealed until the time of the Apostle Paul um, that the Gentiles were welcome in the kingdom and family of God. And so there's this tension and, and just just all throughout the Bible, there's this conflict, but not in a contradictory sense, just in a like a head-scratching sense. What's going on there? But again, this is why the Bible is so cool. That progressive revelation helps us sort of understand these things it was it was it wasn't that at one point in time gentiles weren't welcome in and then at another point in time gentiles were welcome in yep. gentiles were apparently always welcome in we just don't find out if that's like a-okay across the board until later on in the new testament and so that's sort of how the bible works it's interesting there's this tension in this conflict and um in the scope of salvation did you have any thoughts on that point
1: just the. It's interesting how I mean, obviously, like, you know, like the best timing is God's timing. It, it's kind yeah. of a little cliche, but even though it's true, but it's just yeah. it's neat, though, how like God was in no rush to get these things done in his point across, you know, the, the yeah. ultimate point, um, whether it's like what you said, uh, you know, it's just specific prophets dealing with people who were Gentiles and those, you know, those ones who did show faith and were saved through Christ and then. You also have, you know, spe- you know, the progressive revelation that was given to certain people at a certain time. And, and, and none of those cases did God just, just spread everything on the table to a single individual say, Hey, I'm going to tell you everything. And I mean, it took, you know, a couple thousand years for all that to come about. And it's just, it's just mm-hmm. really cool that, the, 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 the patience of it and, um, just everything working according to, to what he wanted. Exactly
0: yeah and again in a way where things aren't contradictory just understood differently it's really crazy like and i i really don't think i'm i don't think we're like special pleading there like i don't think we're getting to say that it's just some exception i think it was intentionally and intelligently designed this way and i think that's clear to see for anybody who seriously you know wants to research it um so the last thing that I think is interesting—that's this idea of tension—and here I want to introduce the word as well. Paradox is a lot of the way that Jesus talked about life and living is—it's it's paradoxical truths. It's like, it's like it's, it's 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 it seems true. It doesn't seem true at face value, but like when you explore it deeper, it starts to make sense. So. Uh, here, are a few of them, I'll just rattle them off kind of quick, is um, like the last shall be first and the first shall be last, right? And it's like this idea that like we normally think that if you're first, you're first. If you're last, you're last. It's really that simple. But Jesus, the king of the universe, came on earth to serve. And he tells his disciples that like, look, if you're going to be first in the kingdom of heaven, You're going to be last on the kingdom of earth. It's not a popular message, but it was Jesus's message. Okay. Another one is that if you're going to save your life, you need to lose it. The only way to save your life is to lose it. And the point is that to gain eternal life in heaven, you have to be willing to give up your earthly life, your own self-interests. And even like one of the places he even says that you need to like hate your father and mother. And sister and brother he doesn't mean like literally hate he he means like you need to view your relationship with god and your priorities your heavenly priorities as so much more important that it'd be like it's, it's kind of like you hate the others it's like they're they're so much lower on the totem pole um than your spiritual priorities um uh, loving your enemies again this is another hard one it's hard enough to love people who love you let alone to love your enemies you know, that's that's just another whole level that, like, doesn't seem to make sense. Like, when when somebody, you know, smacks you on one cheek, it's like, okay, well, I'm obviously going to smack you back now and knock your lights out. Like, that's how this should work. But, like, no, that's not really it. Like, Jesus says you turn the other cheek. You know, uh, and a lot and of, th- and a lot of things like cheek,
1: that so. now, it, like, that seems like, maybe just because either we've heard it a lot or, you know, we live in the time that we live now, but a lot of those things seem like, uh, seem like, turn the other cheek. Like, okay, we've heard that before, blah, blah, blah. But when you look at it in the context of how it was then, like a lot of the laws that were like an eye for an eye were like, Hey, you know, you did this and it's happened back to you. And so there was a, a lot of ideas like that. And another, just uh, jumping around here, another rabbit trail. I love <laughs> how, so unlike the monologues that you see in Job, Jesus fits all of his like quips to the Sadducees and the Pharisees in like a quick like like Twitter like length. Like I know. Less. Like you know I feel I mean? like that I feel like that That's if nice. it was today that Jesus um Jesus was born and not two thousand years ago, that he would be like the best like person on Twitter. Like, yeah. like it's be all these Absolutely. things would be going. He would just say like a 10 word Twitter people would be like, oh, and just like not know what to say to it.
0: I mean, they, they, the Bible says that literally like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the doctors of the law, right? They were astonished yeah. at his sayings. Right? Yeah. They were literally speechless at what he said. Kind this of is
1: cool. I, kind every, I, 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 I smile so often because the, the Pharisees will ask him this like tough challenge, you know, and it'll last. Versus we'll yeah, they they li- set it'll up like, this like, the series, you know, and you think that it'd be Jordan Peterson answering this, and he goes on this 10 minute thing. Yeah. But no, Jesus says a a quick little thing, and and then yeah. they whisper amongst themselves because they don't know what else to say. <laughs>
0: it's yeah, it's just and so then, great. And then and then they just they act like they want to stone him, right? He's got to yeah. clean for his life. That's right. You know, it's like, <laughs> you, know? It's like <laughs> you know. Anyway, it's it's it's, it's crazy. Um, the last one of those, I would say, um, the, and then we'll move into uh, stories of the week. Is just the whole idea, like we talked about, or hinted at at least earlier about like the law, and then the fulfillment of the law, like the the Pharisees and. Um, and a lot of these actually come from the Bible itself. If you look at uh, ceremonial laws and cleanliness laws, and just all the stuff, like the law got ballooned into this six hundred and thirteen, you know, law long um, list of duties and responsibilities. And paradoxically, Jesus comes along and says, "Well, look, number w- first of all, it's even worse than that because all of these things that you're talking about doing, he's like, if you even did them into your heart, you're guilty of the crime, like." You know, if you yeah. murdered somebody in your heart, in your mind, you're guilty of the real thing, which is like, whoa, that is heavy. But Jesus said that all those laws, everything the prophets said, all the law on the prophets are taken care of. If you, number one, love God. Number two, love your neighbor. <laughs> two simple things that are impossible to do, which is why we need grace and it's probably the ultimate paradox and the ultimate tension in the Bible, and probably the one that people just don't understand. I'll close with this, you know. Or what am I, a pastor? I'll close with this, you know. Um, the
1: yeah, getting to the end. Here. The
0: hardest, the hardest part, especially in the South, the hardest part about witnessing the people is everybody's a good old boy, mm-hmm. and everybody's right with God. Everybody lives a good life. They do their best. They work hard. They support their family. Um. And the the simple fact is that they've missed it, right? Because the, the simple point is that you're only really asked to do two things, love your God, love your neighbor, and we all fail at that every day. And that's why we need grace. So it's pretty—that's the ultimate tension in the Bible, is that everybody thinks that they're basically good, when in reality, their righteousness is just filthy rags.
1: That's a good way to close. I agree. I'm glad. You and I come pretty close to good, but— <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, well, right. I mean. as long as you're a meat lover,
1: right? As long yeah, as you're a meat lover, as long you're as you meat lover, so,
0: so like... why don't you take the uh, the story of the week first?
1: Yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. So, it's been in talks a little bit, but it's kind of officially announced now the Harry Potter series coming to HBO. Um, and I guess Warner Brothers, how,
0: how am I just now learning about this? Did you okay, not see the text
1: me? messages in the group that I we have? I have I haven't, left, yeah. I haven't uh, left, yeah,
0: I'm so bad at this. I know, I'm, I'm a bad group that you
1: started. i I know even now i know i know it's been kind of talked about a little bit but officially warner brothers either signed or is about to sign a deal with hbo um it is a full harry potter um series so it's going to cover all seven books there's going to be a a whole season dedicated to each book and so there's going to be seven seasons and i guess it's going to be and Wait, So
0: it's so it's not an extension of the world. It's Redone. go it's rehashing what the it's movies already it. did.
1: It's redoing it, and I'll kind of explain my thoughts on it. But yeah, it it's redoing it. So they're gonna have a whole brand new cast. Um and wow. it's gonna take place, you know. Like I said, like all season, I don't know how long a season will be, but let's just assume, say, eight episodes, an hour each, give or take. So you're gonna have like eight hours of season one, eight hours of season two, all the way up till um you know season seven year seven and i guess it's going to be filled over a period of 10 years um so it's a pretty large endeavor um i most of what i see people saying just the, the very briefly what i look like on youtube or reddit and stuff is that people are saying that they want they would rather see like new territory you know yeah. treaded on and other stuff it, i i get that i i'm personally i'm really excited about it for a couple different reasons i think i think if you grew up with the books before the movies and are a huge fan of the books. This is a very good thing um, because, well, I think the movies are actually phenomenal. There's a couple misses misses um, along the way for book fans, but overall they do a tremendous job, um, but there's just so much that isn't captured or explored or needed to be changed. Um, from the books, just because normally, you know, like a book, you can't capture everything in a two and a half or even three hour movie. So if you can dedicate it rather than two and a half to three hours, I'll be <laughs> very goes three hours, but two and a half hours, you can extend that to eight hours. Um, you can really um, fit in everything now. On uh, face value, I would say this is a bad thing because I don't like remakes when it's just a remake for remake sake. But yeah. right at the beginning, the initial statement said that it is going to follow the books. It's going to stay true to the books. Ian J.K. Rowling is producing it. And I think that has a lot of merit because she, you know, she likes to see her things do well and succeed and stay true. So if she's involved in the process and they're saying it's a recreation of what's in the books, that makes me really excited for it. I actually, I did not think, uh, one, just because of people are up in hours about her, you know, being against some like, uh, you know, trans people being, Competing against, you know, women in athletics, whatever. Um, I didn't think that HBO or WB would I thought they would kind of cash you to the side and disassociate, but instead they're kind yeah. of you know, being on. So anyway, I'm really wow. ex- really excited about it. Um, so that's my story of the week.
0: Well, it's kind of like, oh, what what a rare it's really a rare thing, right? Because this is an adaptation where the author is alive. And she yep. is going to be hev- heavily involved. You
1: like. can look at, like, when Lord of the Rings movies were made, wow. Token was dead. Was it his son or nephew at the time? I forget who it was, but he was older. Didn't really even have a, a say in the movie. They kind of, you know, signed away. Yeah. You say, here's the rights what? to make that. And I don't really think he had any say in it. But And I don't know how much of a say. Like, she's not directing the movies. And I don't necessarily know if she'll be on set every single day. But if she's you know producing it or like a you know part you know a second producer or whatever she's obviously going to have some say in it and going to be able to really have a hand in the direction it goes so it's very yeah that's, the, that's really a smart decision i think on their
0: part i am very interested to see where that goes yeah if nothing else that's very yes. very cool
1: What how many movies have you gone through so far how many have how you watched? Just the
0: first one. My wife's been yeah. begging me to go into the second one. Um, so we're going to have to do that pretty soon. Oh, uh, I'm excited. I was trying to read the book first, but.
1: That's fine. The, the movies do such a good job. And yeah, even though the books have a little bit more richer stuff, I, I would say re- reading or watching the Harry Potter movies does a great job. Um, yeah,
0: I could like I I'm sure there are some things that like. I mean, I've only again, I've only watched the first movie and read the first book. But like as far as books that i've read and movies that i've watched Mm. it really seems to be the closest one (laughs) like jurassic park yeah like way off right from the the movie to the book which the the movie was way more classic for me than the book and so when i read the book i was like oh this is actually really cool but it's not the movie they're two different things right
1: i would say the movies capture exactly or pretty close to it the heart and the emotions that the books want you to want you to feel It's just like watching the movies gives you like 80% of the fullness that you can read for the book. So when you get to the end and some parts happen in the seventh book and movie, watching the movies, you're like, oh man, like, wow, like what a, what a gut punch. But then when you're reading the book at the end, it just gives you a little bit more fulfillment of putting the pieces together. But again, the movies are just so, are so good that it's, it's going to be great no matter what. I'm excited to watch the last few with you. That's going to be a, a, a good treat.
0: Yeah, yeah. My wife told me that I can watch them with you after I watched them with her. Oh so, no! Well, you're gonna to have to fight to the death over that one. I don't know. Oh, mm. yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I know. I guess wife trumps. Meet friend.
0: <laughs> That's just weird. Okay, so uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um. Anyway, okay. well, you guys fight. You'll, you'll have to fight in a cage over that one, I guess. Um, so, the iPad Mini. So I have an iPad Mini. This is my story of the week. It's nowhere near as exciting as as um, Mr. Owl's. Um, but uh, I my iPad, my iPad Pro, my twelve point nine inch iPad Pro, and three hundred dollar Magic Keyboard case for the iPad Pro were drowned in a puddle of water on my camping trip um, last week. And um, not fun, not good. I'm drying them out. I'm doing the rice thing. So we'll see how that goes. They turn on. The magic keyboard works. The iPad turns on, so it's not like totally fried, but there's lots of visible water damage under the screen. So will that dry out? I don't know. I think it could. I think it could. So we'll see. Will it do it before the stain, you know, will it stain the st- I don't know. I, I don't know how it works. In the meantime, I bought an iPad mini. I've been wanting one anyway, and I'm loving it so far. It's really cool. It's like a neat little, you know, I mean it's 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 awesome in the sense of like it's still got it's it, like a good chip inside of it. It's got USB C charging, it's a new, you know, look and feel, it's got great cameras and the size is just so nice. It's like it's like a Kindle. It's it's about the size of a physical mm-hmm. book or you know, a little bit bigger than my Kindle. And it's so easy to hold and, you know, with just web browsing and note-taking and reading and, you know, watching YouTube and stuff. It's like perfect for that. It fits right there in your lap and you can just hold it with one hand and, you know, holding up when you're laying in bed or whatever, it's, it's great. So anyway, that's my story of the week. I drowned my iPad and g- grabbed another one. And so I'm liking it so far. It's so nice.
1: There's a lot of questions that need to be asked about this scenario. First question, what was Steve doing camping? Uh, That's a
0: fantastic question.
1: The s- second question, what was Steve doing with an expensive electronic device in a tent mm. while camping?
0: Mm. Yes. Well, I, the camping trip was not my idea, no. but it was, it was my best friend's idea. And nice. we did that. And there were seven kids, four adults. There was a lot of us, vastly outnumbered. Vastly outnumbered, and I, I had my iPad out because I was actually letting the kids watch the iPad in the van earlier that day, so mm-hmm. that they could, you know, chill for just a little bit while me and Jared were cooking some dinner, mm-hmm. and the wives were um were doing something. And uh, you know, excuse me. Apparently, I'm tired. And so, here's the thing that night. Knew that a storm was rolling in that evening. Thought the tent would be perfectly fine and waterproof and everything. Didn't really have reason to suspect that there was a leak or anything. Um, I saw my iPad laying there, but I was really groggy. I saw it laying there. I thought, you know, that should really be in my bag. And then I went to sleep. And so (laughs) it was laying under my bag in the corner of the tent that just so happened to have a hole in it. And there was a Mm. huge puddle of water right there. And so for hours, my iPad had just been laying in this puddle. Of water. And iPads are not at all water rated. Now, here is a funny twist on that story. I'm excited. So that morning, again, we wake up real early that morning. Like, they actually, everybody else actually woke up earlier than me and were gracious enough to let me sleep for a while. Um, while they started getting things loaded, they woke up at like 5 o'clock. It woke me up Boom. at like 6.30. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was after a pretty late bedtime, too. And um, basically, there was a huge storm system rolling in, and, like, no bones about it. Either way, we were going to be packing up in the rain. It's just, were we going to wait for, like, the thunderstorms to roll in and all that, or were we going to try to get out of there just as soon as we could? And so that's what we did. It still took us, like, six hours to get everything all packed up. But, so check this out. So about, you know, between six thirty seven around that time, we go and... um we get the boat loaded back up. So we had a boat and the way like the campground and campsites are right there on the lake. And so like, you literally just leave your boat at your campsite. It's really cool. You take your boat right to your campsite and, and uh, and just, you know, you can get on it right there, which is cool. So we went, we, we took the boat back around to uh, the boat ramp and needed to get it loaded up into the van. And when Jared jumped out of the van, he didn't know it then, but uh, excuse me, when he jumped out of the boat, in the water, his phone fell out of his pocket, <laughs> into the water. Hey. Again, we didn't know it. Oh, yeah. Onto the boat ramp. And so we get down the road, and he's like, where's my phone? Oh. I where my phone is. And we, he, it doesn't have any Wi-Fi, even though the campground had Wi-Fi, because I could do, like, the find my yeah, thing, yeah. so I didn't see the signal. He's like, well, look, if there's no signal, it's got to be underwater. <laughs> and <laughs> we're like, crap. Dude, we get back, we go about about shin deep yeah there he goes about shin deep he goes right to where he thinks it probably is sure enough it's there perfectly fine Awesome. it had been just it had been laying for like two hours in the water wow on the boat ramp submerged completely and it's perfectly perfectly fine now there are they are rated water resistant and all that which is great ipads are not they are so not rated for water resistance at all And so anyway, so I probably have a burned iPad after all that, or not a burned, but a drowned iPad after all of that. And, um, his phone and my iPad were both in the water for different reasons on the same morning. One survived and the other fell subject to natural (laughs) selection. Good stuff, Steve. So that's it. Well, that is about all for this episode of the Story World Podcast. This was a long one. I didn't intend to go into it. It was a good one. But, you know, it was good. I think it was good. So you guys take care. Um watch the like keep watching. Like don't stop. Why would you stop? Keep watching. Go back. We got tons of episodes. Yeah. Keep listening. Go back and you know, check out other ones and subscribe and like and tell your friends. Hide your kids, hide your wife, all that good stuff. All right.
1: Hide them, them Yes. Uh, if, if that don't work, lock them up
0: and shit them. Tell them, <laughs> then hide them, and then give them a device so that they can watch. That's yes. their punishment, is just to That's listen to Story World is. on yes. loop. So over and over. All right. Don't don't actually do that
1: okay god bless y'all
0: take care